Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, a show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is Chris Watson. Chris is a strategic sales and storytelling expert for Dale Dupree's The Sales Rebellion, an organization dedicated to changing the game in the sales world. He also works directly with individuals and teams, building a library of stories to increase their customer and buyer conversations. Chris honed his sales skills in one of the hardest jobs anyone can do, going door to door and selling knives. Now, luckily for him, he grew up in America, because in Brazil, where I'm from, if you knock on someone's door and show them a sharp knife, you're more likely to get shot in the face than to get a sale. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Watson. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's a uh, truly an honor to be here. So I had I heard you talk about this selling knives thing, and I was wondering, were you already telling stories back then, or was this still the the Ginsu knife style of sale where you just show them how quickly you can cut through a tomato or a bathroom pipe? Yeah, no, I I've always I've always I, I say I've had a story journey. Uh, you know, when I was a, a four year old, I think I told stories to earn more attention. And then as I progressed in life, then I started realizing, wait a minute, I can I can tell stories to engage people. So when grandma and grandpa and uncle and teachers, when I wanted to engage them, uh, then I found myself I'd be telling stories. And then it kind of leapt into teenage years of like, oh, I can educate people. I can tell people about the things I want to tell them through stories. So I began to tell stories there. Uh, and then I had a few opportunities in my college years where um, I was on stage and I was like, oh, this is a great opener. I mean, I didn't have any like formal training that, you know, I, I just found that they, based on my personality and the combination, I started getting these compliments of, man, you know, who tells the best stories, man, you tell the best stories, man, the way you tell stories and you would just see people gravitate. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. So when I went in sales, it kind of clicked my first job, I'm going door to door, I'm selling knives that you really only make money if you sell a knife set. And so I started asking first active story listening, started asking stories about their knives and how important knives were and what did they use them for? And I started telling them stories about these <laughs> Hold knives. On. That, that one could be very tricky. So what you use your knives for? Awkward silence. Well, uh, in the kitchen, in the kitchen, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I mean, it was the uh, Lorraine, Lorraine Bobbitt years. So yeah, we were customer, in the customer looks, looks at the shed concerns and turns his attention back to you at least i didn't get invited into the shed right or they were going to come show me the knives they currently had right oh the lorena bobbit years i'm sure there was some commercial about knives or something maybe it was just a saturday night live skit or something where they were talking about the super sharp knives and yeah lorena bobbit example. yeah so true i bet it's out there somewhere for sure well, for people who are too young to know this reference, what was the story again? She, she, I think her husband cheated on her and she just cut his junk off. Yeah. Cool. And in fact, if you want to know more about the story, I think there's a Netflix like deep dive documentary on it now that you can actually go in and look more detail because, yeah, she chopped his, uh, <laughs> mem his member off uh, after he had cheated on her. Oh, and I just remember the best part of that story afterwards he managed to i don't know if it was the you know the the, the original one but he managed to get that re reattached or replaced and then there was a porn movie called john bobbit uncut yeah right right <laughs> and the the thing was is that the paramedics couldn't find it 
she had cut it off and like thrown it out in the yard, I think. And so oh. they were they were searching the yard uh, to find his <laughs> member, you know. <laughs> I, I, I do this. Um, I did this communications thing at a at an MBA here in Barcelona, and you know a lot of the students are from different countries, and there's a lot a lot of Spanish people. And one guy was telling a story, and he said we went outside looking for wood, and I had to explain to him. Um, looking for wood can be interpreted in different ways in, in English. So maybe I would suggest, you know, you're looking for firewood. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Less likely to go to go. If I understand correctly, wasn't one of your influences in the way you started, you know, communications or sales, your, your dad? Yeah, he was. Uh, my, my dad, um, my dad taught me the value in, engaging people in stories. So what I mean is, is like, I, I think one thing that we do sometimes in stories, or I should say we failed to do is we finish the story for them. Uh, we don't give gaps, the right gaps in our story for the listener to actually be able to engage, engage mentally, dive in, uh, create cause and effects on their own. And so when I would watch my dad coach, when I would watch my dad sell, you know, my dad was a, uh, an ad salesperson. So one of the toughest jobs here in America is to sell ads in a free publication. So I am going and convincing businesses. No one's going to pay for this publication, but you need to pay money to put an ad in there because that's going to grow your business. So at eight years old, I remember traveling with my dad uh, to a couple calls. My mom was a nurse. She had to work like the weekend shift and I would watch my dad in action. And he would, he would tell stories about they come in, they pick the paper and what do they see first? They see your bright orange logo. And what does that make them feel? Well, you're the only one with a bright orange logo, Tom. And like just seeing my dad kind of weave those stories. But the, the biggest thing was is he left gaps. And I'll say I that, that's been a growing time for me is leaving those gaps. Um, because I think too often the storytellers, we like to we like to start it and finish it the way we see it as being best instead of allowing the the listener, the reader to kind of participate and fill in some of those gaps, like movies do, right? So when you say gaps, are you talking about the pacing of the story? Are you talking about actively in, you know, asking them questions or just, you know, what, what do you mean exactly when you say gaps? So let, let's let's do a fun one and then we'll do a, a more business-like one. So a fun one would be if I said to you, <clears throat> this comes directly out of the book, uh, uh, The Science of Storytelling and the way our brains work. If I said to you, my son Carmichael, I went downstairs I see my son Carmichael. He's got a banana in his hand. There's vomit on the floor, and he is crying his eyes out. So notice in that story, there's a lot of gaps for you to fill in in your brain. You're thinking, well, what are you thinking? Let's ask you, what are you thinking when I tell that? If he's got a banana in his hand and there's vomit on the floor. I, I, and he's crying. I'm not sure. If this, was, if this was my daughter, I would think that she had done away with her younger sister and uh, <laughs> give but but it, you know it, okay so i get i can see what you mean there it's the the story has a lot of unanswered questions so that the picture you're painting is not complete and now i'm trying to figure out what, what the hell is going on in the story right we um, allow them to play so you think about it on a business side of things we cannot always just tell the buyer or tell the audience this is the best product for you. We've got to tell them a story that allows them to come to that on their own. Uh, if you think about some of the greatest companies in the world and the way they tell stories and you think about Apple, Apple doesn't say buy our product to think different, to be different. No, it says think different. And then you want to align yourself in that story to say, oh, I'm different. I'm like that. I want to buy that. And so that's that. It, we didn't answer the question to say, Chris, you're different, so buy this product. No, we said, this is what Apple is. This is the story we're telling about Apple. If you align, you will naturally fill in those gaps to say, that's me. That's my company. Uh, I like to help salespeople. Uh, when, when we hear storytelling, unfortunately for a lot of salespeople, they think past. That's the first thing you think. Oh, stories. That's grandpa around the campfire. Let's tell old stories. Or they think... Uh, bedtime stories, right? So I like to tell them we should be telling our buyers and our customers a future story, a lot more often a future story of what our partnership can feel like and look like can be way more valuable 
than the past story. And, and what I mean by that is, if, if you don't mind me taking a moment, is when we say, hey, I have a customer just like you. I, I get weary of that. For everyone listening to this, I get weary of we have a customer just like you because in our culture today, everyone thinks that they are and their business is the most unique thing out there. So we run into this danger. We're saying, all we're all unique snowflakes. Yes, exactly. We all we're all unique snowflakes, and if you put us in your pocket, we don't melt. So it's it's one of those things where I think we we have a danger of almost telling them you are like this customer instead of just painting the p- picture of what some other people have gone through and the way our product has allowed them to grow five x without telling them you will grow five x. So I just think that gap thing it's tough. But I think if you leave the right gaps, people get to to dive in and make their own. And here's the thing. Me now knowing what you just did and filling that gap in, I just learned something about you and your family and your daughter and your kids. So you learn more when they fill in those gaps by either asking a question or making a statement. Okay. So first of all, what's the banana and the vomit? Because now I need to know this. How does this happen? Uh, I, this is a parenting challenge I have not come across yet. Or did you just throw random stuff at me to see if anything? Would... Well, so in the science of storytelling, they just say vomit and banana, and they say our brain thinks and cause and effect that the banana caused the vomit. Right. In my scenario, it was the dog. The dog vomited. Right. My son stepped in the vomit, and he's holding okay. the banana and eating it and crying because he just stepped in vomit. But okay. the point is, right. is that when I don't tell you that, you fill in the gap yourself based upon your own criteria in your head. So we would do that more often as salespeople to fill in the gaps, or I'm sorry, to leave the gaps open for our buyer to fill in. uh, Then we have a little bit more interaction to be able to listen to their story. Yes, I would like to point out that 11 minutes in, we already covered vomit and uh, penises being cut off. Yes. Um, I I think um, we we might have set the bar too high or too low for the rest of this episode. Uh, It's very interesting what you say about the gaps because in the one hand it's just a different way of saying this thing that people say all the time which is show don't tell so you want to show them that you're dealing with people like them you don't want to say they are just like you you want to say oh i've got this client and this is what he or she was struggling with and you're going to paint a picture that is very similar you're not going to go oh and that's exactly like your situation isn't it because that's just one it's poor storytelling two it's just too blatant of what you're trying to do. And I think that's it's going to take it out of I'm telling you a story to I am now trying to manipulate you in this sort of weird way. I 100% agree. I think we, we can't do that. But it's also interesting how, although we are trying to leave a whole bunch of space between what we're describing, we still need to describe some things in as much detail as possible because of this thing that everyone that does a tiny bit of storytelling realizes very quickly, the specific becomes universal. The moment you just say something generic, they don't make a connection between what's in their brain and our brain. The moment you say, oh, we know that, I don't know, Cocoa Pops was the cereal I ate every morning. Now, you might have never eaten Cocoa Pops, but you ate maybe, I don't know, Honey Nut Cheerios, and you're thinking of Honey Nut Cheerios. If I say breakfast cereal, your brain, I think, is less likely to think of the brand you liked. Yeah, 100%. I was working with a guy yesterday and we were working on his about page on LinkedIn. He just started a new job. He's talking about like, what story should I tell? Uh, he, he works with call centers. Uh, and so his story that he was telling was that one was very negative. It was like, oh, the call center and, and there's tons of turnover and all these things. And so we started to talk about, is there a, a metaphorical story to this idea of, of call centers? Is there something where... People in call centers are scared of AI because AI is going to replace the job. And so because they're scared of AI, which a majority of people in the world are scared of AI, they don't understand AI. And so to your point, I think we have to do a very good job of whatever specific details and identifiable characters, as Kendra Hall says, right, uh, of people inside the story itself. My brain has to not work that hard to be like, oh, yeah, I know what that is next so that they can actually get to the plot of where I might have to think very hard. If the whole story is like I'm talking about some special festival in Barcelona that I've never attended, I, oh, what's that? I got to go look that up. And I miss the whole point of why we're doing the story at all. Yeah, I think I've heard you say something like that you want to use details that they cannot hide from. And I think what you're referring to is sensory stuff, you know, 
smells and taste, the, the sound of some specific things. And the brain just goes to those. You know, most people will understand what the, the smell of, of rain on concrete, on asphalt is, or, you know, the, 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 the smell of freshly brewed coffee in the morning or, you know, burnt bread. The brain does the same thing with this type of sensory information that it does with questions. It has to engage. There's no way your brain can disengage if I ask, you know, are you wearing any trousers now? Your brain has just answered that question. Now, or rather you didn't, but your brain has. And, and I think with the sensory information, that's one thing that a lot of stories you hear and there's nothing. They, they, they don't put in enough of the specific stuff. And then it just doesn't, I think it just doesn't feel real is the impression I get. Yeah, yeah. And I would say like the thing with salespeople, the tough part is, and I, I think I've heard, you know, Mike Adams talk a little bit about this is like, when you go to tell a story, there has to be purpose behind it, but the purpose should be less about I'm trying to close the sale and more about what's the emotion I'm trying to elicit. And then what's the, what's the prompt? What's the action that I want from them? And it might be the prompt is I want them to consider buying with our company because of X. But the problem is with salespeople sometimes is that we are, our, our job is so aligned with closing a deal that there's so much urgency. There's almost like desperation sometimes if we're not meeting our quota that it affects the story. The story feels rushed. It feels urgent. It feel, so then they don't talk about and, you know, they don't talk about that. I was I was eating this hamburger that had blue cheese inside the hamburger. It was the first time I've ever eaten in my entire life. No, they just say I was eating a cheeseburger and they move on. So like they don't get into those details because their mind is guiding them to the end. And the end is I want to close this deal. So I'm only telling this story to close this deal. And I think that's where we have to be conscious of, no, I'm telling this story because this story is a much easier engagement and conversation for them than me saying, hi, I'm with XYZ company and I sell ABC and we solve, you know, DEF. Well, that point you just raised uh, opens the door for me to talk about something that is going to be, it's going to make it even clearer. To anyone who doesn't know that yet, how much of a nerd I am. But you got asked in, a, in another podcast about what superpower you wanted to have. I don't know if you remember, but you said that it was always between two. You're very clear which one you wanted, but it was always between two. Do you remember which one they were? Mm, it was either uh, teleportation or time travel, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I heard that and I thought, okay, a fellow geek. But... But then I thought how how an amazing metaphor for communication and the value of story those two things are. Because what you just described is salespeople thinking they can teleport themselves to the closing of the sale. So I just want to get there. I don't care what happens in the middle. I want to, you know, bump here, bump my way over there. And whoever heard this knows that it's an X-Men reference. I'm sorry. Um, Whereas you could argue, or I could at least, that when storytelling is done well, it is to some degree what you described that you want to time, time travel for. You said you wanted to go back in time and live different periods in history. But that's what a story does. If you do it well, the customer, whoever you're telling the story to, is going to live that, that period of your life or your customer's life that they didn't, that they didn't. So it is to yeah. to some extent. And, and I would say also that you can, if you tell a right story, you can teleport them or you can time travel into the future that they are considering, do I want to do business with Chris? And what would that partnership feel like and look like? Because they are evaluating that. And so if we do a good job of letting them live some of those stories with us in, in the micro moments of the micro stories, it's like they're it, it, what, what salespeople don't get is like, we're accelerating them getting to know us because when I tell a story about my son, they're evaluating. Do I want to do business with somebody that's a family man? When I tell them a story about my dad passing away and how that was a, you know, either a pebble in my shoe or a torch that I carried and I decided to make it a torch, then they think about, oh, you know what? I've My dad's passed away. We've got more in common than I ever knew. But if I don't tell those stories then and I only just say, hey, I've got a customer just like you. Or let me tell you about this customer I have. Well, then they feel like, oh, he only cares if we actually close. And I know he makes money off of it. And I think what salespeople forget is our buyer is the most intelligent buyer that we have ever had. 
up to this point in history because of the internet, because of what they now know uh, by reading a book or by listening to a podcast or whatever it might be. And so it's not that we are outsmarting them by any means. No, we're actually saying, listen, I want to open my heart and reveal myself to you in a different way because I want you to get to know me. I think also story, it, it gets us faster to a no, which is okay because we want to get quickly to a no or get to a yes this is going to be us between, you know, working together, partnering, or this isn't going to be a good fit. And I think story allows us to tell a story and say, which of these buckets do you fall into or which one of these things resonate with you? None of them. Oh, well, I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a good fit, but that's a good thing instead of, okay, I'll do the demo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know what? We, we already have this. I just wasted three days and a full demo on this. Like, what was I thinking? One thing that a lot of people don't understand about how story is used in any context that is not entertainment, that is not uh, you being a storyteller or, or art or whatever, is that I think people keep trying to give it a meaning that it doesn't need. The way I tend to think about it and talk about it is that story is the language of the brain. So if you want your brain to realize, okay, hold on, I need to pay attention to this, this is important. There must be a, there's a lesson in here for me. And this is something I should remember. What you do for your brain to get all of those points is you tell a story or you tell something in story format. And that's how the brain takes all those boxes for your brain. And now your brain is doing all the things you want any buyer or any person you're in business with to, to do. To, you know, they will pay attention. They will, they will listen attentively because they realize it could be important and they won't forget it very easily. And that's it. It's nothing more complicated than, are you trying to get a point across? Now, if you do this well, this is the best way to get that point across. There's nothing more complicated than that. And, and I guess that the way we used to, I mean, not us, but the way, you know, the decades and decades ago, the older people used to teach younger people is they would just tell them stories. They wouldn't just tell, give them orders. My mom wouldn't say, oh, don't cross the street because something can happen to you. Because she said that a million times and I never paid attention. But I know there was a, there was a cleaning lady that used to work with my, uh, one of my, my uncles. And like every mother, she was to tell her kid the same thing. And one day the kid crossed the street. She made him come back because he hadn't waited to cross with his mother holding her hand. And the kid got hit by a car on the way back. Now, I never forgot that story. Right? And there's a chance that you might never, because it's horrible. Or it's a horrible, horrible story. But I knew, I understood that a car could hit me and something could happen. But ne that never had the effect that story had in, in me. And that's it. It's just, you were trying to talk to me in a language I don't understand. Now you use the language I do understand, and now I'll remember. Right? I have had situations as a salesperson where we didn't do business, but they remembered my story. And so when I would see them the next time, they're like, hey, it's the guy that went to Machu Picchu. Hey, it's the guy that, hey, it's the guy that got snowed into Denver when that other airport is, you know, the sales guy. I mean, and then quite honestly, I would have loved for them to remember my name, but I recognized my story was more powerful. My name, my story was more powerful than the company I worked for that because that was what was memorable to them. And because to your point, we so effortlessly think about things in story form that I think we're we're hindering ourselves as leaders, as salespeople, as marketing people. We're hindering ourselves by not speaking in story form. Uh, I, I think like, correct me when I'm wrong, but I feel like the word storytelling uh, is becoming a bit like brand, right? Everyone's like more storytelling and tell stories and be a storyteller and be it. And I think, or are you doing story? What's your story? And I think the danger in that is that what we're really just trying to get to is we're trying to get to a relatable perspective. And our story allows us to get to a relatable perspective if we tell the correct stories. Yeah, I don't disagree. And what pisses me off to no end is how most people that use the word are not actually telling stories. So this is a, this is a dead giveaway on social media. Story time. And then they don't tell a story. 
<laughs> or 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 they'll tell the like the shortest version of it, like, oh, I used to do this, this, and that, and that's how where I learned this, and then they're just telling you a whole bunch of stuff. Like, it's not not a story, dude. <laughs> you do it. Right, right, yeah, they, yeah, I I agree. I I what frustrates me is when <laughs> is when someone tells me, hey, let I, I want to tell you a story, knowing that you're a story strategic story guy. Let me tell you a story. And they tell me the story and I'm like, is that what you think a story is? I'm always kind. Is that what you think a story is? Yeah. Well, um, I didn't, I didn't get transported anywhere. Um, there, I, I don't even really know who we were talking about. Oh, we were talking about me. You didn't tell me that. Uh, and they just miss, I, I think it's this, it's no different than salespeople. Let's say I sell this pen, right? The problem is that sometimes I sell this pen with so much knowledge of this pen that I sell it to you making an assumption that you have all that knowledge as well. Well, that's sometimes how we tell our stories. We tell them being like, well, you know, I'm from Texas because I live in Texas now. And we so we leave out that detail or, you know, the stories about me. So I just tell it as if you know that because in our minds, we're so familiar with the story, so familiar with the pen that we leave out these details that actually would be really transformative and impactful because we just subconsciously know them. And I think that's honestly, that is the, like the, the, the tiniest secret sauce for people that are engaging, but they don't really tell good stories is I tell them, you didn't tell me this, this, or this, they add that in. It's a full transformation of the story that they've been trying to tell. What I find the biggest difference between someone who's been trained to do it or who's a natural at it and, and everyone else is the is the moment, is the difference that it makes to tell that you know, don't tell me how how your wholesale's career went. Just pick one encounter that represents that and give me that one with as much detail as you can. That is a story. You telling me, oh, I've been in sales for 10 years and I started here and then I did this and then I did that. That's a timeline. It's not a story. Okay. And and the story could be as I've there was a there's a, a storyteller called Matthew Dix who talks at the moth and I think he won the moth Grand Slam 40 times or something which is kind of ridiculous and he's I've heard him say that a story is five seconds it's it's that moment of change everything else is important but what if that is not there then it's not a story worth telling and, and I think when when anyone we're trying to talk to people about using story in business. It's just like, okay, what do you want? You want them to trust you. Fine. Share a time in your life where you've done something that shows you're trustworthy. That's it. There's nothing other than that. But for some reason, this has become a very alien concept for us. You know, it's, it's all opinions, yeah, facts and statements. Yeah. Well, and I think, and and I, and I would ask you this: is that I. I almost feel like the the tough part is the awareness piece. I find when I'm working with somebody one on one and I'm asking them a series of ten questions, let's say, uh, uh, I like when I'm working with people one on one to ask them questions like, you know, tell me a moment when you were counted out and you came out on top, or tell me a moment when uh, you squandered a really big opportunity. And they start going through all these moments, and what they don't understand sometimes is that. There actually is a macro, kind of a macro story through all of it uh, of maybe like, you're a survivor. Look at all these different moments where you survived. And there's almost a macro line of their life, but they don't recognize the macro theme and they sometimes don't even recognize the micro. And so I think, I think it comes down to awareness is what I would say. I think like they don't think that they're, and this may be a company out there um, somewhere, but anyways, they don't think that they're story worthy. They don't think mm. that that moment. Coincidentally, Matthew Dix, who I just talked about, oh, okay. is called Story Worthy. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna write that yeah, down. I, so, so I think that there's there's very different levels to the to the work we're talking about. So, I think there's obviously tremendous value in this. Uh, how do you call it in America? Is the thirty thousand foot view? Fifty yeah, thousand? Yeah, yeah, thirty, 30 thousand foot view. Yeah. yeah. So, so where where you genuinely trying to look at a life or a career and then extract a theme out of it to say I'm a survivor, I'm an I'm someone who adapts or, or whatever. But I think for a lot of people that are that we are telling that they should be using stories in business for say for leadership, for for employee engagement, just for better communication, all we're trying to do is move people from talking about 
you know, data and, and facts and opinions into talking examples. So, right, you love working for the sales rebellion, okay? Tell me a moment in the last year that made you feel proud to be a part of that organization or a moment you felt you made a difference. That's it. Whatever little story you come up with, whatever you come up with will be a story and will probably tell me a lot more than you telling me a whole bunch of stuff about how oh, this company works like this and they always look like that. And when you know what made you think that, I don't know, Dale Dupree is as impressive an individual as everybody thinks he is? Just give me one time and you will. Yeah, and, yeah, I like and, that. I like that because I think, I think comparing that to somebody that's watched a movie or read a book, you get those single moments from your, let's call it the hero or the character, that main character. You get those single moments that actually that single moment firms up their identity as a character more than almost the entire story. It's that it's that one that one moment that that really firms up. Oh, they're this. Oh, they experienced this uh, in the in the grander theme of the entire story. I'd like to ask you a question. So, what fascinates you about X Men and comics? I hear you talking about that a lot. What what did th- those stories do for you that that it, it, I guess embodies like yes I keep coming back to them and I keep engaging in them and I love them. <laughs> There's the risk of metaphorical time travel when we talk about these things, which is that I'm gonna go back in time and change the meaning of things. When I read them, they were just cool. You know, you had Wolverine with his you know adamantium claws, and you had all this you know guy who teleports and a guy who's made of organic steel or whatever it was so it was just they were just cool and this is how i felt then x-men spider-man the, the batman the ones i really liked i just felt they were really cool now when i analyze now what probably attracted me to them is that particularly if you think of x-men or spider-man i mean spider-man is so obvious when you when you look at it from with, with a grown-up's eyes he's a nerd He's not popular in school. There's a whole bunch of things in his personal life that are not great. And then something happens and he becomes amazing, but he can't tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, like, what kid did not wish that, like, you know, you go on holiday and you come back, you have a different haircut. This is the one that's going to do it. <laughs> or you so change true. your looks, you change your looks slightly. Um, and I, and I, in a silly way, I still get this because my family and most of my childhood friends live in Brazil. So they see me once a year. So there's always this like, is this the year that I come back looking a lot better? <laughs> and I'm, I'm an improved version of myself. So I think with comics, a lot of the stuff that attracted me was the really fallible people, you know, the ones that were trying to fit in. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to those types of, of comics. And that's why Batman is significantly more interesting than Superman. Because, I mean, what is Superman's great problem? Kryptonite? <laughs> yeah, Kryptonite, which is boring as hell. We, you know, he has to pretend that he's normal when he's actually mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of the other ones are not, you know, like Batman. <laughs> Batman is just a normal guy. I mean, like, seriously problematic, but a normal guy. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's, that's what he was then. Now, I mean... I, I don't know to what extent that has translated to the movies and to everything else. I think it was just nostalgia more than more than anything else. But this is another thing about story, which is it's transportation, like a word you used earlier. And I read all sorts of things, and I read fairly obsessively, and I, I read a lot of fantasy. And, and I was trying to figure out what is it about it that, that attracts me so much. And then I realized... Well, I'm on holiday. I'm trying to sort of distress and deload and whatever. And these are like three, four, five, sometimes 10 books in a row where I'm just sucked into this different universe. And it's not that the universe itself is that appealing. It's that I am transported and I'm in it and I'm, I'm, I care about the characters. It doesn't matter what the story is. It could be a story about a corrupt cop in New York. Um, it could be a story about Lord of the Rings type of stuff. It's just, it's a good story. So for me, I'm a movie guy. So... I have moments where the movie ends and I felt like because I transported and identified with the character was in the movie, I almost need a moment to like come back to reality. It's like, you know, when, uh, when inception, you know, I really, I really love the movie inception. I really love the movie gladiator. When I think about Braveheart, when I think about these movies that are so emotionally engaging, I mean, my, my wife, she gives me a pretty hard time about it. She's like, it's just a movie. And I'm like, 
like I was there. I was there. Like I, I had blinders on and I felt like I was there. And so I think like for us or for really anybody, I think everyone has an escape escape that they need i think it is what does that escape do and so for you maybe the fantasy it gives you some juice it gives you some creativity it uh it rejuvenates you where you're not having to focus on your own thing for me movies i look for the the micro stories in movies and say well what he's really struggling it's that gap thing they didn't tell me that uh you know that certain storylines were very explicit about oh his dad wasn't around or his mom wasn't this they may have just lightly inferred that and so or i inferred that from lightly you know different character growth that's what i love is that when i come out i find when i'm talking to people about movies and i say we just recently watched uh uh tenant uh which was uh mind-boggling but i remember at the end my wife's like so what happened and i'm like well, don't you know, like he, this, I didn't get that. And I find that a lot of times. And I bet when people talk to you about X-Men or talk to you about comics that, well, don't you know that, you know, Peter Parker, this, and it's like, no, I just know that he shoots webs and like gets bad guys. And I think that, that is why we have to tell many stories throughout because we don't know if that one story is going to be the one that hooks. We don't know. And so for salespeople, we're talking 15 to 20 touches sometimes before somebody's actually willing to engage with us. And so I think for a lot of salespeople, we want, and I do teach this, that we have a we have our one story, our multifaceted story that can work in any moment. But I also think we've got to be equipped with many different stories and know what is the emotion, what is the prompt, what is the emotion, what is the prompt? Because some people walk out of a movie or some people read those books and they're not engaged. They're like, yeah, that didn't, that didn't transport me. You know, that didn't, that didn't move me. Yeah, I think the word that's become very popular in recent years is resonate. And and I think that's what it happens with children naturally with comics or anything else is, you know, I didn't read Spider-Man and think, "Oh, I'm a nerd, that's why I like him." But it resonated because I could I could relate to his issues. If the the book, the movie was so what is the the name one uh, name of that one was Richie Rich or something? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Richie Rich is like a super rich kid that I don't know, has super rich kid problems. Uh, you know, I was I grew up in Brazil. I I, I didn't. I look at Richie Rich. I was like, no, that that doesn't seem. Do I don't you like think it. though that some people that was an aspirational, like, oh, I wish. Perhaps, perhaps. So so you know, you take different things from different stories, but I don't think we're overanalyzing them as they happen. But that's you know, if you're using stories for business. It's the job. The job is being intentional about the stories because you believe they'll be relatable and they'll resonate with the people you're telling the stories to. But you know, you're not going to go. And the, the customer is not listening to that and going, "Oh, he just told me a story about someone who sounds just like me." And uh, now, I, I mean, if 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 it's that transparent, then you've not done it well. So, what do you call the story equation? Yeah. So. I think for a lot of salespeople, they don't really want to take the time to learn storytelling. And so the story equation is what is their story? What is my story? What's the right story? Because too often, like, let's just think about that as an equation. Do I know mine? Great. You know your story. You can tell a great story. Do you know theirs? I think, okay, well, what's the right story to tell? I believe, and I use this metaphor a lot. I think stories for salespeople is imagine a home. And, and and salespeople have to tell micro stories sometimes because of the amount of time that they have. It goes back to what you said about about, uh, about Matt of like, you got five seconds. So I believe I'm, I'm a heavy believer in early on micro stories because micro stories are like if you came into my home and I cracked all the doors in my home and I told you just a quick, oh, that's my room where I do that. Oh, that's the room where that happens. Oh, that's the great media room with the big TV. And those are all just micros, but you're painting a picture of what it could look like. Now, if I said then to you, pick one, you would go choose the story that resonate like, oh, I want to go see the media room. Well, for salespeople, because business owners and, and buyers are getting called by thousands of salespeople, we have to tell a micro story that entices them to say, I want to know more or I'm ready to engage. And so the equation is, what's your story? I know it. Perfect. I know my story. I know the story I'm going to tell. What's their story? Fantastic. Well, what that equals is now what's the right story? What's the correct story? Too often we tell our own or we tell them we know theirs, but we don't tell 
a combination of what are those two looking like? Uh, the phrase I use is, we must know thyself before we can know thy buyer. And we must know thy buyer's story before we can be a great storyteller. And I think people get lost in, but Chris, you're a storyteller. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean I always just tell stories. I've been encouraging the people I train with to read this because it's only, it's, it's active listening. It's only 25 pages by Carl Rogers. And he dives into this idea of like, how do I be an active listener? If we can ask for stories and be an active listener in the story, we can quickly tell the right story. And I think too often we're just telling our story and hoping it resonates, telling our story, hoping it resonates, telling our story, and hoping it resonates instead of really considering what theirs is. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. When it comes to active listening, one thing that we need to train ourselves to do, and, and I, as guilty as that as, as the next person is, we also need to get better at asking for people's experiences and their stories specifically. Say, for example, you're working in I don't know, financial sales or whatever. Typically, you would ask, so what experience have you had with financial advisors in the past? And you're going to get some explanation. It's a lot better if you say, tell me about the best experience you've had with a financial advisor or the worst. And, and they will tell you something a lot more specific with a lot more relevant detail about what they liked, what they didn't like, than if you ask openly. And if you pay attention to that, then you know perhaps you don't even need to tell a story. You just, uh, again, you could tell a story to be a better way to communicate anyway. But if you're just going to pitch them, then you know what to emphasize and what not. But, but it's asking the right question and actually paying attention. And, and it's not something a lot of people do, particularly... We who are to some degree or another in the speaking business tend to find that we want to spend most of our time doing the speaking. Not the but, you, but what I will tell you is the, the amazing thing about your podcast, the thing that I appreciate most that I don't think gets talked about enough is the amount of research, the amount of deep dive that you do on people. Now, because you're a natural reader, it probably doesn't feel like work sometimes. So it's an incredible amount of research. And that is where I say, Thank you, Lord, for being in the time that we're in, because that same company you're talking about, I can go and actually find things out about them, about their employees, about the exact problem that someone may write about, ask about, comment on. I can do a deep dive on them. So then when I ask them for a story, I can actually say your financial advisors work with Fortune 500 company business owners. Tell me what was the best moment where someone left the competitor and came to you all. Oh, well, but I'm asking that specifically based on the research I've done. If I'm really good, I can know their exact title because maybe it's not financial advisor. Maybe it's like professional financial representative. So your professional financial representatives at XYZ company, the more that we can say something very specific to them. I know uh, Gary V, you know, a couple of years back, I remember him. He was, he was filming a video. He had a video that he was going to put out. This is the core video. Then they said, okay, let's record all your audiences. And he says, men in Detroit over the age of 40, teenagers in Dallas, Texas, uh, moms in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Because when he called them out directly, they tuned in to the story that he was about to tell. And so I think if in sales, if we can do that more often to say, you know, a Francisco X-Men reminds me a lot of the powers that we have in our organization. It's like, okay, I may not believe you yet, but tell me more. And that micro story brought you in because it's like he did his research. He knows I like X-Men. So I think to your point, the that is what that's what makes a great podcast. That's what makes you and your guests coming on. When I I learn so much when I hear the guest almost here's what I'll say. Guests that come on here and you tell the knife story about me, that almost puts me in a relaxed teetering moment because it's like, okay, I'm talking to someone that knows me. Even though we really don't, but we've interacted a lot on on LinkedIn. That's what you want out of your buyer. You want them to feel like, oh, Chris actually knows my world. Okay, I can lower my shield. I can lower my shield and listen a little bit more. I wanted to ask you, before we're done, I wanted to ask you about something that I've never heard you talk about, but I have a feeling you might have some opinions on. The the, the greatest sport on this earth, which you people call soccer, which is actually called football. And, um, and I was thinking about this thing 
about this because, well, I, I realized that you have you used to be you either became professional or you almost became professional, and you still run soccer clinics, uh, from what I understand. Correct. And so we recently we you know, the world has recently lost Maradona. And and then all these conversations about who's the greatest player of all time come back up. And and I you know I live in Barcelona, so I watch Lionel Messi on a regular basis. And I find incredible how the difference of a player that has stories told about him and who and who makes people who, who people project their own lives and their own stories on them, the difference between that and someone who who feels at times like created in a lab by robots to be the perfect football player like Lionel Messi, but they seem to have forgotten to input the personality bit. And, and I don't know if you've ever thought about how much the way we consume football as or soccer as spectators and even within the teams, like how much the narrative makes a massive difference. A hundred percent. I So I attended the World Cup in 2010 in South Africa. And prior to that, um, I had attended, you know, MLS games and I had even attended, um, you know, like qualifiers where teams came, but to go to another country and experience those, those games, the narrative, in fact, I would say this, like the narrative is almost all you have sometimes when you're when you're watching the game and that narrative is created by a lot of different things for young people it's created by uh video games right they play with that player they play with Messi or they play with Dybala or they play with uh you know Mbappé they play with them on a video game and because they play with them on a video game and he's so good and he helps them win they it, in real life that guy becomes their hero right it's it's really Really interesting, but I would agree that it's like um, I think people and and athletes in sports and especially football, it's like a bottle of wine. It's just so much more exciting to drink a bottle of wine if it has this major backstory of how it was created. So when I and I watch a player and I hear about messy and and growth hormones and you know being short and little and counted out and then making a name for himself or I think about Ronaldo and you see kind of his before and after and who he was and where he came from or you think about like Carlos Tevez or whoever these players are that that literally soccer for them wasn't just soccer like it was for us it was their way out of their situation of their life right and so yeah I mean I and, and here's the other shift I will say. I don't know if this is globally, but I can say for sure in the United States, we are seeing more and more young people that they like players over teams, okay? But what I will say that doesn't translate into soccer is like they will like a whole team in soccer and football because of a single player. Whereas here, like we may like LeBron James or we may like Russell Westbrook it doesn't mean we really root for that team, but we're rooting for the player. And I think in soccer, there's still something to say, like, Messi's my guy, so I root for Barcelona. Or for me growing up, uh, because I played with these players, this is funny, I was uh, I was a Juventus guy. Uh, I loved Pavel Nedved. Pizarro played for them for a moment. And I know that's all crazy, but really for me, the intro, being a Midwest kid, was I was playing a video game and seeing these players play, and I was like, oh, that's my team. They always win. And you got to remember, we weren't broadcasting games in the United States at that point. You couldn't get a game. I mean, you had to literally be outside of the country. In fact, I remember the first international game I ever saw. I was in Jamaica on a, on a mission trip with my church, and I see this game played. So I agree, and here's the other thing I'll say about soccer unlike any other sport is because it's so rooted in the city and in the country, there's just so many more storylines, right? Don't you find it interesting that Messi had like these IRS and tax issues and yet it still didn't tarnish people being like one of the greatest football players of all time? Yeah, that doesn't fit with the story and people just discarded it. But also he's, no, the thing with Messi is as amazing as he is, no one cares much because because he's kind of a machine and he keeps to himself. There's not much personality to him to what he says and whatever. Whereas Maradona, there was too much. Mm. Maradona is the was the embodiment of a lot of things Argentinians loved and hated about themselves and about their country, and 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 his story is tragic and amazing. That weighs a lot. And, and you mentioned Juventus and Juventus. 
is one of the teams that is now, you could argue, suffering from the power of storytelling because because Pep Guardiola, who was the best manager Barcelona perhaps has ever had, he was a guy who had played football for them very well, and then he barely trained their reserves for, I don't know, six months. And then he went on to become one of the most successful managers of all time. So that story of the player that played for you that's now going to lead you to glory, a whole bunch of other teams have just decided to give the most important job in their club. It's, it's like you're making the CEO the guy who was a good salesperson 10 years ago. And now you're saying, now run this company. You know, that's the case with uh, Andrea Pirlo at Juventus now, uh, Solskjaer at Man United, Miguel Arte Miguel Arteta in Arsenal, never had never trained anyone. He was a, a Pep's supporting coach or whatever you call it. And he, these guys are giving multi-million dollar jobs because the story that an old player that's going to lead you to glory, that's such a powerful one in football that it just overrides experience, overrides logic, overrides anything else. And and you talked about video games, so I'm going to bring this up to, to close. Are you familiar with, with the Burger King Stevenage Challenge? What, what is it? The Burger King what's challenge? The Stevenage. I don't think so. Right. This has got to be one of the greatest advertising stories of all time. Stevenage is this team in the second division of English football. And so Burger King realized that although they were like a crap team in the second division, they still made it into FIFA soccer. So you could still pick Stevenage. So they went and sponsored Stevenage because they knew that if they're sponsoring them in real life, they would be sponsoring them in the game. So then this, this club in the second division has a big Burger King symbol on their shirt. So then they started an um, online campaign to encourage people and reward people if they played with Stevenage. And, and with like all these new games, you get to hire players. And it says, you know, if you score a goal, put it on social media, you get some rewards. So people started using that club to play the, the campaign version of the game. So now you have all these videos online of like Stevenage winning the Champions League with a team that has Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, and whoever else, and they have a massive Burger King on their shirt. So Burger King got all this advertisement. And just last week, I did uh, one of the weirdest jobs I've ever done, which was I, was, I did voiceover for an award ceremony. It's like, a, and the gold goes too. And these guys won an award for online advertising. And it's just beautiful, right? <laughs> you can yeah. see the, the, the evil genius that said, I know. We're going to sponsor a team in the second division. Hear me out. And we're going to get Messi and Ronaldo to wear Burger King shirts. <laughs> <laughs> right, Chris, if, um, if people want to find out more about the, the stuff you do, where should, they, where should they go? Yeah, so uh, you can go to the website, www.dchriswatson.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me with the Sales Rebellion. Same thing, www.dsalesrebellion.com. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. And until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little. And when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it. And it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com.